We turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we continue studying 1 Corinthians. We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 17 through 24. This is the Lord's word as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth. And so we know that we have the infallible, the inspired, the therefore inerrant word of the living God as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but... If you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading and its exposition and its hearing this morning. Last week we read some of the Apostle Paul's counsel for married Christians. And part of that counsel was that if a believer uh, was married uh, to an unbeliever, the fact that the spouse is not A Christian is not an excuse or pretext for divorce. Only if the unbeliever left voluntarily may the the Christian be considered free of the marriage obligations. Paul jumps off from there then to teach more generally about Christian contentment in the situation that we're in. In the circumstances in which the Lord has providentially placed him or her. Becoming a Christian does not give license to break every social obligation or responsibility or covenant that you had previously. As we saw in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it does mean that uh, you must leave sinful things behind, sinful lifestyles. But unless the Lord clearly calls you into a different circumstance in life, uh, you don't leave behind family or employer or anything else necessarily in your life unless it necessitates sin. Certainly some are called to leave such things for the ministry of the gospel, for example. And in Matthew 19.29, Jesus says there is a special blessing for the, his servants who do that very thing. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But leaving family does not negate obligations to them. As Jesus teaches in Matthew 15, no religious obligation can undo our obligations for parents, for instance. As Paul tells Timothy in in 1 
Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 7, in the passage we just read, is that the Lord's will for his people is contentment in the circumstances he's placed them in. The Lord will often lead his servants into different circumstances for the sake of the kingdom. So it doesn't mean that you must not ever change your circumstances. We'll get to that a little bit later. He'll call some out of one career and into another for their well-being, for the advancement of his kingdom. He'll call some into missionary work or church office. You necessarily have to leave behind things if you're going into the mission field or if you're going to be a preacher of the word. You're going to have to leave something else behind, some other career. But be content in the Lord in whatever circumstances he calls you. That's Paul's message here. The main point of today's sermon will be just that. Be content in the Lord in whatever circumstances he has providentially placed you. But under that, we'll see three things that contentment in the Lord means. One is that it means trusting in the Lord in any circumstances. Secondly, it means improving your circumstances. So it doesn't mean that you have to stay where you are, but it means improving your circumstances when God providentially gives you the opportunity. And we'll get into what I mean by improving in a little bit here. And third, it means not being content or complacent with sin. So let's deal first with Paul's main point. Be content in the Lord in whatever circumstances he has providentially placed you. Speaking of God's providence, it's a helpful providence probably that we've landed on this passage. I didn't plan it this way, but we've landed on this passage on New Year's Day. A time when so many make resolutions about changing their circumstances. And uh, I'm not sure that New Year's resolutions are always the most effective way, but this isn't to say that it's a bad thing if you say, I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to give up this unhealthy activity, I'm going to do this more healthy thing. Those, that, that's perfectly fine, I'm not railing against that by any means, and Paul isn't speaking to that sort of thing in this passage. He's talking about our general circumstances of life. Look at verse 17, but... As God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. The last statement about uh, Paul ordaining these things in all the churches tells the Corinthians that this isn't something he's just picking on them about. It's something that's universally taught. Uh, He isn't just giving them trouble over some of the things that uh, they may have done that showed maybe a lack of contentment. We know this is the main point of the passage because Paul doesn't just make this point at the beginning, but in the middle and the end as well. Uh, In the middle, in verse 20, he says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And and at the end, uh, verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, writes about this. This is to be understood of the state wherein a man is converted to Christianity. No man should make his faith or religion an argument to break through any natural or social obligation. So, natural and social obligations. He's talking there maybe about your family obligations, for example. He should quietly and comfortably abide in the condition in which he is. And this he may well do when he may abide therein 
with God. Note the special presence and favor of God are not limited to any outward condition or performance. He may enjoy it who is circumcised, and so may he who is uncircumcised. He who is bound may have it, as well as he who is free. In this respect, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian nor Scythian, bond nor free. He's quoting Colossians 3.11 there. He says, the favor of God is not bound. So Henry's point, which is Paul's point here, is that our earthly circumstances do not decrease, they don't do away with, they don't override God's favor, which is upon all who are in Christ. So you might find, well, my circumstances aren't as good as this other Christian that I know. That doesn't override God's favor upon you. And so we can be content, no matter what our earthly circumstances might be, because we know that they don't negate God's favor upon us. Paul offers a couple of examples of what kinds of circumstances he might be talking about here. The first one is circumcision versus uncircumcision. So A, circumcision versus uncircumcision. In verse 18 he writes, Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Now you might think, well how in the world could you do that? Uh, This may surprise you, but plastic surgery is not actually a phenomenon of modern medicine only. Believe it or not, there was a type of surgery available in ancient times, in Paul's day, which could help a circumcised man appear uncircumcised. Remember, this was a time when most people bathed in public bathhouses. They were usually, they weren't (laughs) co-ed. There were men's and women's, or there were times for men and women sometimes. Uh, So a Jewish man would be noticed in such a place. A Jewish man serving in the Roman army might be particularly conspicuous. He might not like it. So some would actually have this notably painful procedure, because one thing they didn't have was the kind of anesthesia that we have today. Uh, They would have this done in order to better fit into a Gentile society. So Paul is certainly saying that such a surgery is unnecessary for a Jewish man uh, who are in Christ. But beyond that, he's, he's using hyperbole to make a point. He's exaggerating to make a point. The Jewish believer in Jesus does not have to become a Gentile so to speak, in order to be a Christian. That would be silly. Nor, as was more prevalently claimed in the early church by false teachers, nor does the Gentile have to become a Jew outwardly in order to be saved, in order to be in Christ. The rest of verse 18 was, Anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. The Jew does not have to become outwardly or culturally a Gentile, nor does the Gentile have to become outwardly or culturally a Jew. Uh, This, uh, as a side point, would speak well to the the modern Hebraic roots movement. If you've ever seen that, the number of Christians who think we need to get back to celebrating the old covenant calendar of events and things like that, and and, uh, we need to to dress and act the way that Old Testament Jews were commanded to dress and act. And, uh, of course, in terms of the moral law, yes, But in terms of the ceremonial law, Christ has fulfilled this. Paul specifically tells us in Colossians 2 that we're not to be bound under a liturgical calendar like that. So uh, 
So that, that would speak against that. And this here speaks against that as well. We don't have to become outwardly Jewish or culturally Jewish in order to be saved or to be in Christ. As Paul says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Now, of course, in terms of material things, it's very much a thing, right? But here when he says it's nothing, it means it's empty in terms of its spiritual value. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. What does he want Christians to do? Keep the commandments of God. And here he's particularly talking about the moral law. Being obedient to God is how we know whether we're in Christ or not, or growing in Christ or not. Not whether uh, we are circumcised or uncircumcised or anything of the sort. Physical circumcision or lack thereof makes absolutely no difference whatsoever in terms of your standing in Christ. The way that you know you're standing in Christ or not is whether you're obeying God or not. Is the Holy Spirit working within you to make you more righteous over time? So that's A, if you will. B is the other example that he offers is that of being a slave versus being free. We find this in verses 21 through 23. Verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. We'll deal with the end of that verse in a bit about uh, becoming free if you can, if you're a slave. But notice, Paul says, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. That is, were you converted to Christ while in slavery to another human being? That doesn't keep you from being a Christian, he says. Being a slave doesn't keep you from serving Christ in your circumstances. In fact, if your master is an unbeliever, you are actually freer than he is. In men's terms, it might seem like you are owned by another, but you actually are owned not by him, but by Christ. You're actually freer than your human owner if he's not a believer. The first part of verse 22, For he who is called while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Somebody who has been in slavery but is now free. And you're just as free, even if you're a slave, as any other believer. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Romans 6.22 tells us that Christians are all slaves of God. So the question isn't whether we're in slavery or not. The question is, who are we slaves to? Are we slaves to sin and death, or are we slaves to Christ, whose yoke is easy and burden is light? That's a much better circumstance. And the Christian called into Christ while socially free, that is, while not a slave to another human being on earth, must not put himself into bondage, Paul says. It's, you're going to be much less effective. This is verse 23, you, you were bought at a price. We saw that before. You're owned by Christ, so that affects the way you act and what you do with your body, including whether you sell it into slavery to someone else. It says, do not become slaves of men. This might sound silly to us. Who in the world would do that? Who would voluntarily become a slave of other men? Who would give up his freedom? But this was a common practice in ancient times. Often to get out of debt, we read about this in... Leviticus 25 earlier. A man might sell himself into slavery. And this is certainly a caution to us not to surrender the freedoms that we have to others, whether it's to a government of fallen and fallible men or 
just directly into servitude to another person. But, but we should note that while that may be an element of what Paul is saying here, the Old Testament law did allow, we just read about it, uh, for the principle of debt servitude. So there's no inherent sin in such a practice. God was, was all right with, you didn't, it wasn't ideal, but dealing with a fallen world, he might allow for a period that somebody could sell themselves into debt servitude. We have to note that was very different than the kind of slavery that we're, we're acquainted with from American history. We'll come to that in a little bit here. Nevertheless, as we'll see shortly, Paul sees it more advantageous to be free from slavery so that we're more at liberty to serve Christ openly, and the Christian should, by all means, avoid that kind of debt slavery as well. This is where you would get into debt, which we should avoid anyway if we can help it, and then you find you can't pay the debt, so what you do is you sell your, you're really selling your labor to someone else so you belong to someone else for a time and you're the product of your labor that belongs to that person instead of to yourself until your debt is paid but it's probably best to understand that Paul is speaking more broadly about slavery to sinfulness as well here Romans 6:22 says we're slaves to God having been set free from sin so here you're bought at a price the blood of Christ, you belong to him so you're set free from sin. Don't put yourself back into bondage to sin, Paul is saying also. Even the slave must not obey commands to sin. Certainly the free Christian must not place himself in such a circumstance. And perhaps I should pause and point out uh, two things relative to slavery here. For one thing, Paul is talking about circumstances the believer in question cannot change. You are already a slave you're in slavery, you become a Christian, you can't change necessarily the fact that you're a slave. This will come to in a bit here. If you can, he says, do change it. So we'll deal with shortly. He does say the slave who has the opportunity to be free should take it. But for one thing, this is circumstances that Paul can't change. He's just dealing with things the way they are in the world in his day. For another thing, the kind of slavery that was allowed in the Old Testament that we read about earlier did not include the kind of slavery that existed in American history. So by no means should we read these scriptures to be saying that that was okay. This is actually something that's clearly forbidden in Exodus 21.16. This is what Exodus 21.16 says, He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. In other words, it was a death penalty issue, as if you had stolen somebody's life by murder. If you took someone from their life, you just kidnapped them, took them out of their home, out of their family circumstance and everything, and sold them into slavery or kept them as your slave. That is exactly what occurred in American history. That's the kind of the transatlantic slave trade. That was this very kind of thing where people were stolen from their homes, sold into slavery, and they and their descendants kept in perpetual servitude. So in no way does the Bible endorse that. But Paul says that the slave who cannot control his circumstances is to serve the Lord as he is. So he's speaking to them in the circumstances they're in that he can't change and they can't change. Be content in the Lord in whatever circumstance he has providentially placed you, is Paul's main message here. But what does it mean to be content in the Lord? 
Well, there are three things found in this passage that contentment in the Lord certainly means. Number one, contentment in the Lord means trusting Him in any circumstances. We trust Him whether people around us are treating us well or not. God has a good plan for you and is treating you well. And you'll cause all things, as Paul says in Romans 8, to work together for your good. John Calvin writes, This is the source from which other things are derived, that everyone should be contented with his calling and pursue it instead of seeking to betake himself to anything else. A calling in Scripture means a lawful mode of life, for it has a relation to God as calling us, lest any should abuse this statement to justify modes of life that are evidently wicked or vicious. So, in other words, uh, a life that is full of vice. <laughs> he says, uh, you can't say, well, God just called me like this, so I should stay in it. No, that's not what he's talking about. He, Paul's already established in chapter 6 that we have to leave behind sinful lifestyles. The last part's what we'll actually deal with in a bit, that contentment to the Lord means not being content with sin. But the emphasis from Calvin there is that, that we trust that God knows what he's doing. He called us in a particular set of circumstances. He places us in particular sets of circumstances. We should be content with that. Take notice of what Paul says, verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. As God has distributed, walk in that way. As the Lord has called. We're talking about here sovereign circumstances. God, as the sovereign God, has placed us in particular circumstances. Verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. God has sovereignly placed every human being in a particular set of circumstances. You need not change those circumstances in order to be a Christian and serve the Lord. That said, we note number two, contentment in the Lord means improving your circumstances when God gives you the opportunity. Verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. If you're a slave and you can be made free, take the opportunity to be free. Why? Because a free man or free woman has a much better chance, you're actually you're freer to serve God according to the dictates of Scripture in your conscience and not according to the dictates of your human master. So when I say improving your circumstances, I mean improvement not as the world might count improvement, as the world might define it, but in the sense of having more freedom and resources with which to serve Christ. Again, I'll quote John Calvin, who said, But here it is asked whether Paul means to establish any obligation, for it might seem as though the words conveyed this idea that everyone is bound to his calling so that he must not abandon it. So in other words, if you're, you grow up as the blacksmith's son and he trains you to be a blacksmith, well, you better stay a blacksmith for the rest of your life and you can't do anything else. And Calvin's saying, well, that's not really what it means. He says, now it were a very hard thing if a tailor were not at liberty to learn another trade, or if a merchant were not at liberty to betake himself to farming. I answer that this is not what the apostle intends, for he has it simply in view to correct that inconsiderate eagerness which prompts some to change their condition without any proper reason. So people who just have to change to be changing, Right? or just because they can't ever learn to be content in the circumstance they're in. So whether they do it from superstition or from any other motive, 
Farther, he calls everyone to this rule also that they bear in mind what is suitable to their calling. So you're called in Christ what is suitable for you as a Christian. He does not therefore impose, Calvin says, upon anyone the necessity of continuing in the kind of life which he has once taken up, but rather condemns that that restlessness which prevents any individual from remaining in his condition with a peaceable mind. So in relation to our last point, Calvin is saying that, that the scripture teaches that we should be content in whatever circumstance we're in. We've probably all known people who never seem content where they are. They wander aimlessly from one job to the next because they can never be content where they are. One romantic relationship to the next, they can never be content where they are. They're the the proverbial grass is greener on the other side of the fence kind of person. The scripture condemns that kind of lack of peace. But alongside that, Calvin points out that the scripture does, does allow for us to change our circumstances as God gives opportunity if it's for the betterment of our service to God. Want to change careers? Fine. Will that make you a more effective servant to Christ or not? Paul explicitly teaches that if you're a slave and the Lord gives you the opportunity to be free, take it. You can serve God more effectively as a free man or woman than as a slave. So do it. Let's apply that principle more broadly. You may have the opportunity to earn more money. Well, what are the conditions of earning that more money? If you find that, that to be more productive for your Christian life, take the opportunity. Another job, on the other hand, might pay less, but affords more freedom to serve Christ. Maybe you have more time off. Maybe it keeps you near a godly church. Maybe it helps you fulfill those family obligations we were talking about earlier. Maybe it's in a state where you can more freely educate your children in a biblical way. Those are all things that you might weigh as you're dealing with how can I best serve God in the change of circumstances. Stay or go as it seems best for your service to Christ. Number three then, contentment in the Lord means not being content or complacent with sin. So we don't just say, well, I should be content in whatever circumstance God has called me, and he called me as somebody who was committing adultery when I I became a Christian, so I guess I should just keep committing it. No, of course not. The latter half of verse 19, keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So obviously we have to keep God's commandments. We can't just do as we please. We leave behind sin while still being content in whatever circumstances the Lord has placed us. Sometimes leaving behind sin will mean that our circumstances in a worldly sense might be more difficult. And we can be content in that because we know of the great favor of God that is upon all who are in Christ. In his commentary on this passage, John MacArthur has aptly written, The unity of the church at Corinth was seriously fractured. Not only were there numerous parties and factions, But some groups were encouraging those with the gift of celibacy to get married, while other groups were encouraging those who were married to become celibate. Slaves were chafing under their bondage and were striving to find spiritual justification for demanding freedom. Although the gospel is the antithesis of the standards and values of the world, it does not disdain or seek to destroy governments, societies, or families. Rather, where the gospel is believed and obeyed, 
some of the most obvious byproducts are better governments, better societies, and better families. But Christians can be Christians in a dictatorship, a democracy, or even under anarchy. We can be Christians whether we are man, woman, child, married, single, divorced, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. We can be Christians in Russia or the United States, in Cuba or China, in France or Japan. Whatever we are and wherever we are, we can be Christians. God does not justify corrupt governments or immoral societies, and they will be judged in his time and in his way. But the purpose of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, is not to revolutionize social institutions, but to revolutionize hearts. The gospel as directed at the human heart, not at human society. Because faithful Christians are better husbands or wives, better friends, better slaves or masters, better sons or daughters, and better citizens, they cannot help contributing to better societies, but using natural means to try to affect a better society is not their ministry. Be content in the Lord, in whatever circumstances he has providentially placed you. Trust in him. He knows what is best for you and how and where you can best serve him. Oftentimes he will providentially prevent you from doing certain things and so you have to change circumstances or sometimes stay in certain circumstances in order to serve him well. Trust him in those things. If he gives you the opportunity to improve your circumstances, take it. As long as that improvement allows you to serve him more. Whether better education, whether more money, whether less money but more time, or whatever. Whether it's the call to church office, take the opportunity to have more and better resources to serve Christ. The one thing God does not want you to be content with is sin. Fight sin. Fight anything sinful in your life. Don't be at peace with sin. Don't be content or complacent with it. Be restless where you find it. There's, there's the one kind of real restlessness that God wants us to have. Restlessness with sin. Restlessness with not being in conformity to Him and in good covenant relationship with Him. Do not be content or let it remain. Kill it. Die to it. Leave it behind. Keep the commandments of God. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank You that you are trustworthy so that we can be content in whatever circumstances you have placed us. Grant that we might be thus content, trusting in you, improving our circumstances as you give opportunity for better service to Christ and not being content with anything in ourselves that would displease you. For we do pray in the name of your Son, your Righteous One, He who is faithful and true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.